Great. Okay, great. That was our first lull. There we go. All right. That's our, that's our first, first lull of 2017. These, these fortunately can be edited out later, so we sound snappy. Oh, my. That's right. Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Rob Minot, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. Hey, and welcome to a new year, 2017. Woo. I know, the excitement is palpable. It, it is. The fact that I have a cold isn't helping. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. This, of course, is AT Banter. Hi, Hi. I'm Rob Minot. And today, joined once again by Ryan Flurry. Hey there. And Steve Barkley. Good day. Hey. Hey. And uh, yeah, first episode of 2017. We have turned over a new leaf. We are completely reformatting and changing the podcast. And no, just kidding. And Ryan is not a vegan. Oh, have you been getting recipes? No, nobody has sent me one recipe. <laughs> but I have to clear the air. I am not a vegan, nor will I ever become a vegan. There's nothing wrong with oh, being I, vegan. I don't think you can rule that out. But, oh, I can, because I know if, if at all possible, before I die, I'm going to have steak wrapped in bacon, cooked in butter. I will not be vegan. I feel like that exists. It does. I feel like, I, I feel like you can just get that at Burger King. I've, I've done that. <laughs> and it's delicious. <laughs> yeah, you got to take a few more steps. I mean, you got to have it stuffed in a duck, stuffed in a turkey, stuffed in a chicken. Wrapped in cheese. <laughs> and then deep fried. Excellent. Sounds like a peony. <laughs> So we're starting starting uh, 2017 off with a bang. We've got a great guest today. We're talking with Molly Watt, who resides all the way over across the pond, as they say, in the UK. We're going to be talking to her a little bit about her charity and her company. What'd you get for Christmas? Uh, I got a few things. Very geeky. A bunch of Star Wars paraphernalia, of course. A couple of Blu-rays. Your shirts. Cool. Underwear. Which I put on my list, which made me feel old. I've actually gotten to that age where underwear becomes an item on a Christmas list. Yep. Wow. I'm telling you, eight-year-old me would be horrified at that. <laughs> Unless it was Star Wars underwear. Yeah, and even then, that's but still clothes. Clothes, no good. No bueno. No. Uh, what about you? I got a uh, rangefinder, so now I know how far I'm shooting. Oh, okay, for your gun. Do you know as far yeah. as gun? <laughs> well, I don't know. It should give me a range. I, I guess technically I could use it golfing oh, you know if what? I wanted to. I know. You know what? I got that and Pathfinder mixed up. So I was like, you got a Jeep? That's not even where I was going when you were thinking range finder. You said for your gun? <laughs> <laughs> and, and actually, I did get a Jeep. Didn't I? You did? You got a Jeep? I got a Jeep. You did. When? I bought, I bought a, a used Jeep off a buddy of mine. It's uh, It's got a big lift on it, so you can take it out off in the off-roads and... Oh, no yeah, way. I'm planning on doing Jeep adventuring this summer. Really? In spring. So well, now, and I just, actually, the fishing trip that I was just on, I, I uh, used it there as well. And it was really good on the icy, crummy roads. See, I don't know if I'd want a Jeep because that's a lot of pressure because then you, you automatically get entered into the Jeep club where you got to honk and wave at every other Jeep that you pass by <laughs> on the road. And that seems like a lot of, that's that's a big responsibility. It's the same thing with Volkswagens. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed it the first time I bought a Volkswagen. It's like all of a sudden all these people are waving at me. It's like, what the hell are you waving at me for? Like, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan, what about you? Get anything good? I uh, got a whole new wallet. Actually, I needed a wallet. Uh, I got some chocolate. Uh, nothing. No toys, though. No technology. No? No. Well, it's because you have it all already. Pretty much. It's really spoiled. Yep. How, do you, how do you buy something for the guy who's got everything? Yeah. Well, and she knows better. It's best, just better that I go out and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It's one of those things where we don't need this. Why does he want this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll get him a sweater instead. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's bring on our guest and uh, banter. All righty. Well, great. Well, we are really happy uh, to have with us today our technically our first show of 2017, incidentally. So it is. <laughs> uh, we are pleased to have Molly Watt with us. 
Molly Watt is the co-founder of the Molly Watt Trust and director and accessibility and usability consultant of Molly Watt Limited. She's a motivational speaker, an author, and an illustrator of two children's book and an avid blogger. She's spoken at events around the world from the Houses of Parliament to Harvard Medical School and even the Apple campus itself. Okay, wait, why is she talking with us? Just listen. Yeah, you're way out of my league, Molly. Sounds pretty cool. Molly, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me on. So I'm just curious, Molly. Uh, you uh, were apparently stuck in traffic. Are you tied up in this whole uh, um, thing with the transit in London? Uh, so I'm just outside of London, and um, so not quite as mad as London. But where I do live, I'm there's quite a lot of pointless roundabouts and things like that. And I I was caught in rush hour. My mum obviously was driving, not myself for obvious reasons. Um, and yeah, we just so happened to catch a rush hour. And typically we weren't far from where we live. Um, but yeah, it was just all these roundabouts and traffic lights, and yeah, it was it was pretty horrific. But got home in the end. Why don't we start out with just uh, just telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Okay. Um. So I am 22 years old, and I probably should start with my condition. So um, a lot of what I do is comes down to my condition, to be honest. Um. So I have Usher syndrome, uh, which is a uh, a form of deaf blindness so it's where you're born deaf um so i was re- i was um diagnosed with uh, severe hearing loss at uh, 18 months old and uh and then uh, at, during adolescence so at the age of 12 i found out i was going blind also um and it was in fact a syndrome with the deafness so um it, the blindness is called retinitis pigmentosa, which is actually a really common form of progressive blindness. Um, but with retinitis pigmentosa, also known as RP, put with deafness is Usher syndrome. It's the most common form of uh, deaf blindness. Um, and so really, I think um, it's been a struggle, really, um, because uh this condition is actually quite common, but a lot of people haven't heard of it. It's also an invisible disability. Um, so because uh, of uh, my pa- my parents' choice was for me to be oral, uh, so I had lots of speech therapy. And so I've gotten by with communication orally. And then when I found out I was going blind um, and to now I've only got five degrees vision left in one eye there's a lot of ignorance that goes a lot of um let's say stereotypes about blindness as soon as you say you know yeah I'm registered blind they think that you can't see a thing and it's very black and white um so growing up and going through school was actually quite challenging trying to get the right support and there was a, a a huge lack of access basically and that's where the whole um you know accessibility passion comes from um because I discovered once I did have the right access put in place um i was able to succeed and i i kind of just felt that this sort of thing had uh, had it had if a lot more people in my kind of position had the same kind of access um they would be able to succeed also um but there's a lot of barriers uh, barriers in society when it comes down to ignorance or access to technology or even just knowing what is available um there's a there's many barriers for a lot of people um so yeah so i guess um the it all kind of started with my condition and the the passion for awareness um, of uh, people with my condition, but also invisible disabilities and the challenges that it comes with, mental challenges that it comes with, um, and just wanting to be um, more inclusive, um, want, wanting society to be more inclusive, uh, wanting the awareness to be out there and technology, the kind of uh, people to be more more um, uh, open to the idea of having technology um, help them on a daily basis. And actually, uh, it benefits more people than we realise, not necessarily us deafblind folks, actually quite a lot more people. Um, so, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is from per- it's all everything I do now is all from personal experience because of the challenges I've had and how I've been able to overcome them. I try to interpret that into my everyday work now and with the charity also. So when did you start really start advocating seriously? 
So with the Mollywood Trust, Mollywood Trust was set up in 2010, so 2010, and it was set up um, really as I was in education. That was where the struggle started because I was going blind at the age of um, 12. I started going blind and I was registered blind at the age of 14. It was really evident that there was no understanding um, of it in the education system. Uh, so, And it was the same for many other people. Uh, many other children in my in my position uh, so we, we were on Facebook and were networking with lots of other people and it and it yeah it just became very very clear that there wasn't enough awareness out there there was support for the deaf and there was support for the blind but there wasn't support for the deaf blind um, and again coming back to ignorance you know with teachers and things like that in the system also um, there was there was a massive lack of awareness so we set up the trust and 2010 really uh, to begin with just to raise awareness of Usher syndrome um, because of how common it is and just wanting people to be more understanding of Usher syndrome so I basically just put my time into going into local schools um, bookshops hospitals things like that just to um, do a little awareness talks and talk about uh invisible disabilities um inclusion uh, how it's okay to be different and it really kind of just grew quite quickly and people were quite um open to the idea um of listening which is uh, really really nice to know that people were listening um and then we kind of, um, as I was discovering with with technology, I was able to succeed and, and do well in my exams. And um, we wanted to be able to fund the same kind of technology for other people like myself in order for them to be, to succeed. So the right kind of accessibility. Um, so the Mollywood Trust set about um, a few projects to, to raise money to donate Kindles, things like that, so people could um, access the book, you know, obviously adjust font size and contrast things like that not too expensive either so we were able to fund quite a few kindles in the early days the molly watch trust um so within the first um year we had to raise a certain amount of money for us to become a registered um charity for us to get our charitable charitable number and um, we raised that within a year uh, which was really really great so since then what we've been doing is we've been uh, setting up um events so, so social events to bring people together a lot of people with us syndrome have never met someone else with us syndrome because people say it's rare um but I, I, I don't think it's as rare as people think. But a lot of people that got Usher syndrome haven't met someone else with Usher syndrome. So we try and bring people together because it's just nice to know you're not alone. So we do a lot of mentoring online and in person also. And then we, yeah, we, we try and fund um, like Apple Watches. We've managed to fund, I think, 16 or 17 to date um, of Apple Watches to, to people like myself that could do with that independence. Um so, yeah, I mean, we're only a small charity. Um, that, as I say, was set up back in 2010, so we've been going almost seven years now. And, um, we, yeah, we just we just want to make um, life, everyday life easier. There's no there's no um, cure for us syndrome. Uh, so our, our goal is really just to make, you know, life a little bit easier, everyday life um, easier for those with us uh, syndrome and raise awareness ultimately. So I was about I was about uh, fourteen, fifteen, when I really started doing all that, and I did um, online videos as well. Started um, raising awareness through uh, YouTube and things like that. Also, uh, so yeah, it was really in in the early days when I started advocate, advocating for the people like myself. Molly, <clears throat> we're we're obviously over in North America, and and our our funding is probably different from what you have for funding over the in the UK. What what kind sure. of supports and funding are available for uh, assistive technology over there? Um, so it it's quite it's not really black and white. It varies depending on where you live um, in the UK. Uh, for for me, I to be honest, couldn't tell you exactly what the funding was. I was quite young. I'm not aware of it. My parents would probably know. Um, but I was I was able to have a, a radio aid uh, microphone for the teacher to wear. So I had um, a little box around my um, around my neck for quite a while with wires when I was really 
young and then as I got older and technology got better there were no wires and I had little um little uh little devices stuck onto my hearing aids and the teacher wore a microphone and that was in a class um so I had that right the way through mainstream school when I got to boarding school, that was actually a specialist school, so um, it was a school for the deaf, so everyone had the same um, the same kind of support, um, and that uh, my local authority paid for me to go to boarding school, uh, so a lot of the support sort of came with that. Um, in terms of when I was going blind, support I was given, that was kind of in question for a long time. We had to fight for the right support for me to be able to access my education, um, so that was an ongoing thing but eventually I did get um I had uh, a laptop uh in school and I thought I fought to get a MacBook because um Apple and its accessibility has always been my um my preference I say preference but it's all I know uh, ever since I've been diagnosed I've used Apple and its accessibility and it's it's what I'm familiar with so I did get uh, a laptop a MacBook, um, which I used in all of my lessons um, for for visual accessibility, and then the teachers would wear a microphone um, that was directly streamed into my hearing aids. Now that you're an adult and uh, you, you obviously have gotten out of the uh, the education system, uh, what, yes, <laughs> is, are there supports available to you now? Uh, uh, yes, um, so I've, I go to uh, Moorfield Eye Hospital in London, which is uh, one of the best eye hospitals in the, the world. I go there every year. I, I have annual visits there now. Um, and they offer they offer bits of uh, support in terms of uh, a low vision clinic. They will offer uh, little gadgetries, um, magnifiers and tidbits like that. Um, but I guess this kind of goes back to the point when I talk about uh, the technologies like, uh, you know, iPads, laptops, things like that. All the tools for accessibility I need are the built-in accessibilities on these tools that I've got. Um, so I don't necessarily need little magnifiers and things like that for books. Um, I don't, everything I use is electronic. Um, so I don't necessarily benefit from that. Um, so um, there, there's also uh, social services. They've been around and they've looked at the house and seen how they can make it more accessible i've had that kind of support but again that was a fight because i wasn't disabled disabled enough um so yeah there's a lot of kind of holes in the system because they say oh yes we offer you this because you uh, you are registered deafblind and then they come around and see me and they think that I'm not uh, eligible for it because I seem so able um, so again going back to the stereotypes and lack of awareness uh, in dual sensory impairments um, I've had to fight for everything that I've got and a lot of people a lot of other people do also so that's again where the Molly Watt Trust will come in and try and help um, support that that's a, that's the key i think with us syndrome because it is it's it's not an obvious condition um a lot of people like myself do communicate orally and appear really visual so we don't appear to have a, a really severe condition that actually uh, needs a lot of support and so we don't get the support and a lot of people don't have the the confidence to actually speak out and say what they actually need um so i kind of find myself being the voice uh, for a lot of people that need that kind of support. Um, so yeah, it's an ongoing process. You know, never nothing's perfect, but just got to keep keep at it, I guess. Yeah, we have a very similar sort of thing here. You know, there's there are uh, supports in place, but oftentimes they're underutilized, and people have to fight to get what they need. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned yeah. earlier, um, you said that you thought uh, Usher syndrome was a lot more prevalent than, than people gave it credit for. And, and you know, I, I, I do some work with a group called the Children's Low Vision Project of British Columbia. And we, oh, probably, yeah. we probably see an Usher's kid every second clinic, I would think. Um, yeah. It, it, is, it is a fairly common condition. It is. I think um, because it starts off with deafness, and obviously deafness in itself is a very common uh, disability. And what they said to me, or they said to my family in the early days of my diagnosis, is going back to 2006, they said, um, oh yeah, it's uh, one in 25,000 deaf people. 
and we were like right okay um but the more we've um gone into it the more people we've found and mm-hmm. they, they all kind of come out of the woodwork especially online and face the power of facebook and you sort of think well i think because the blind the onset of blindness is progressive and for a very long time you can fool yourself into thinking you can see um because i mean the first sort of four years I'd say into my uh, blindness diagnosis I was definitely in denial because I had vision and I appeared really visual it was a lot easier to just say I was fine and that I could see and I didn't need any help than to actually give in and use a cane and sort of accept that I was going blind you know as a teenager I was just like no I'm fine you know I can see it's okay um and it is like everyone I talk to that has RP, um, because it is such a gradual process, it's very easy to fool yourself into thinking that you can see. And I think for that reason, for a lot of people with Usher, don't actually get diagnosed with it until a lot later on in life or until something major has happened, like they've fallen over in the middle of the street and they think, oh dear, something must be wrong. Um, and and I say that because I, I've come across many people that were in that position, you know, they're in their mid-30s and they've walked head-on into a car and it's like oh dear like this this is this is serious there probably really is something wrong with my eyes um and and thereafter they they find out they're actually in fact registered blind so it's a, it's a really scary thought um because you know there's people out there that are driving that don't realize they're gradually losing their peripheral vision um because a lot of people with us syndrome do maintain their central vision um i've been quite unlucky with that um, but the majority of people I know do still have some. So it's easy. You know, you think, oh, I can see, it's fine. And then you fall over. <laughs> <laughs> and you've broken your leg or, you know, you've got a bruised eye. You know, it happens. <laughs> and what's, what I find is, is really interesting and, and sort of the benefit of the right now is that there are these platforms like YouTube and Facebook and, you know, basically, you know, all the social media that is allowing people um, to connect on, yes. on a level much, much more easier uh, than, you know, the past 10, 15 years. Yeah. And your sample size yeah. is a lot larger, yeah. too. You, yeah. You know, where people mm. used to gather in a church basement to talk about things, you know, and might get two or three people together. Now sure. you can get five, six hundred sharing information and yeah and so it's a lot easier to disseminate information it's a lot easier to offer support um and it's probably a lot easier to just get you know to gauge numbers yeah yeah i mean it is is i think this is uh kind of uh, going back to what i do with my company it is that's where actually we're seeing a lot of errors because where it is actually so easy to just go online for a lot of people and find out information or to connect with other people not all these platforms are actually accessible to everyone and so those people are automatically excluded um, from from going online and connecting with people and you know we talk a lot of isolation and uh, mental health and things like that and with us a syndrome in in particular because of its progressive um uh, condition um it's very easy to fall into isolation and depression and anxiety and my, personally myself i've got i've got manic depression and severe anxiety it's not fun and it's uh, incredibly common uh, with people with us syndrome or or even just rp um and so yeah so a lot of the work i do do um it's not necessarily through the trust but i do hope that it benefits people that obviously we support with the trust also um but i'm kind of um consulting uh with people that um um, build websites and apps and things like that on how they can make their products uh, more accessible um, for everyone to be able to access to get on to connect with it. Well, depending obviously on the platform um, but for instance Facebook is is really quite inaccessible for a lot of people that use voiceover on a Mac um, it's actually quite shocking <laughs> right. and um, but you know you just got hope it's just they're going to recognize it soon and they're going to adjust that because Facebook is such a huge platform um, that everyone uses and it's a shame that you know that 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 group of people are actually excluded uh, from using it 
Well, why don't we back up a little bit and talk about more of the technology? I think Molly, you've also mentioned in the past, use an iPad, an iPhone, an Apple Watch. Yep. It yep. all ties into your hearing aids. So, like, what does a typical day technology-wise look like for you? Uh, so, I wear my Apple Watch every day. And so, I I would often – so, well, I probably wouldn't go into the office. But if I had an appointment elsewhere, um, I, can, I often use my navigational stuff on my Apple Watch. So, I'll put in my destination. Um, and using the uh, prominent haptics on my watch, it will – tell me when I need to turn left or right and it will talk directly into my hearing aids um, so I'm able to feel through my wrist which direction we're going and I can hear it also um, the good the, the the brilliant thing about these hearing aids uh, these smart hearing aids is that they connect to my phone and also my watch so if anyone's going to ring me or anything like that when I'm out with my guide dog it will stream directly through my hearing aid um, so I don't miss a call or a text message or an email or anything like that I mean obviously I don't reply to all these things while I'm out at, at all the time unless it's urgent um, so um, in terms of independence uh, and navigation the Apple Watch is brilliant for that kind of thing and also the notifications you know phone calls business calls and things like that um, I manage my whole business on my iPad Pro um, I, I do have a MacBook. Um, however, I think as my site has worsened, I found that the, the, the iPad is just far more user-friendly. Um, it's obviously touchscreen and just a lot easier to navigate with my fingers opposed to using a trackpad on a MacBook. Um, so I'll use all the built-in uh, features on the iPad and also with my iPhone. They're both very similar pretty much the same um so i i, I use zoom and i change uh, i use the display accommodations change colors so that there's less white and glare to prevent headaches and eye strain um i also use speak screen and um, so with a swipe finger it will read out content um on my screen instead of me having to to read it um and again that will go straight to my hearing aid so we'll hear it um, I'm not. I have used VoiceOver before, um, the, the navigational um, audio stuff. However, it's it's with VoiceOver. It's because it's more for for navigation. So everything you touch, it reads. I'm because I'm still quite visual. I will still look to, for what I'm touching, but it's more to if I'm in an application where there's a lot of reading to be done, or I'm I'm reading a newspaper article. I'm more likely to use Speak Screen because it will literally just read out the content. Um, so I will know where I'm at, but I won't. I'll just to prevent tiredness, will get the the screen to be read to me, opposed to having voiceover on. Um, um, yeah, so really, um, tech technology wise, it's just my my Apple ecosystem. Uh, so my watch, my phone, my iPad. And then uh, the assistive technologies that come along with it, my hearing aids. Um, when I'm at home, we have the, the ring doorbell. Um, so if I don't hear the doorbell, it again will vibrate on my wrist. A camera comes up on my phone and I can use the built-in accessibility to zoom in, see who's at my door. I can answer the door through my phone. Um, and it's just, yeah, a, a safety aspect as well, as, as, long as, as well as independence as a deafblind person. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it, uh, yeah, it all comes back to kind of the Apple, the Apple ecosystem, the com and the compatibility with other technologies. Um, you know, having that Bluetooth connectivity to my hearing aids is crucial. Um, so a lot of the technology that's available for blind people all involve audio, and obviously, if you're deafblind, without that Bluetooth connectivity, that those technologies are useless. Um, so having these hearing aids make all the difference, having that compatibility. Um, so, yeah. And I guess that haptic feedback is, is crucial as well when you're out. Definitely. Yeah, definitely with the Apple Watch, yes. Um, everything. I've never, ever had a ringtone. I've always just had everything on vibrate. Right. Um, just because I think, yeah, I think even, even as a deaf person, I've never without being blind i've never even considered having a ringtone and i've always just been more inclined to feel for the vibrations opposed to listening out for a phone call um so it's kind of a a, a natural thing uh, for someone i think who's sensory impaired and um, to feel for vibrations and uh, so which is yeah it's definitely crucial cool 
Well, the Apple Watch <laughs> 2 is interesting as well because, you know, I remember when it first came out and sort of the mainstream response to it was, well, this is kind of gimmicky. Like, this isn't yes. really going to go anywhere. And it's sort of ironic that as an AT device, it's actually incredibly powerful. Yes. Yeah. Did you, did you by any chance read my Apple Watch blog? Uh, yes, I did. I did my homework. Yeah. <laughs> These guys did it. The, only reason, the rest of the us have jobs. I mentioned that was because <laughs> the, the, the irony was um, – uh, the irony was, like you say, everyone saying, everyone saying how much of a gimmick and waste of money the Apple Watch was, and it was just an excuse for Apple. Try- Apple was just trying to say you need an iPhone, blah 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 blah. And I think my Apple Watch was kind of the first positive review on it, and it was a review based on someone who relies on accessibility. And accessibility thereafter kind of became a bit of a trendy word, I think, in the. Uh, IT industry uh, because that blog kind of just went viral and the uh, the old Philip Schiller from Apple retweeted it and as soon as he did it, it, my my website crashed <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, to uh, update the the traffic or whatever it is uh, called um, but it was yeah it was just crazy because a lot of people I think it uh, excuse the pun that opened people's eyes <laughs> to to kind of what this Apple Watch can actually do to benefit people with 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 other conditions or you know uh, sensory impairment mainly. I mean, a lot of uh, people uh, who were blind or deafblind were suddenly emailing into the trust and saying, you know, wow, like I would never have considered this um, had I not have read the blog. Um, and I myself was really not convinced uh, about the Apple Watch, um, and I literally bought it uh, out of curiosity. I mean, I should probably mention I was actually working at Apple part-time uh, as a specialist um, okay. for a couple of years. And uh, and it was only because me and my colleagues were kind of like, oh, really not sure about this Apple Watch, even as I as employees, a lot of us were like, oh, I'm not sure about this, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we all kind of went for it, knowing that we could just return it within two weeks if we didn't like it. You know, we just we were just curious. And so um, I obviously got it and was pleasantly surprised. And I think a lot more people were also uh, pleasantly surprised. It certainly made a difference for me. Um, and a lot of people that I know that have gone and got one after reading the blog. Yeah, it almost makes you wonder. It almost feels like it was almost a happy accident. Like it sounds yeah. like even Apple was like, <laughs> oh, geez, wow. Hey, this is this looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the the going to Apple Cupertino was uh, interesting because I think they were just like, wow, you know, it's just so – so great to know that we are genuinely benefiting a, a lot of people and since then a lot more people have come forward with all these different kinds of conditions and have said you know how brilliant the apple watch is i mean like for instance someone say with dementia or someone who um is diabetic you know the apple watch can be sending you reminders to tell you oh you know you're your blood sugar's low or whatever, you need to do this or you need to feed your dog, you know, just routine or reminders for those that might forget it or someone that um, has got ADHD and needs, needs reminding, needs routine, and if they don't have routine, they freak out. You know, having that kind of tap on the wrist to say, oi, do this. Um, it's kind of just an, an inclusive and not so invasive way of um, getting on with daily activities. And, yeah, an, an accidental way of finding out how that can actually benefit so many more people um, in such a different light because I think people were really skeptical about the whole wearable technology um, and actually it's become quite a big thing. <laughs> Obviously Fitbit and all, all the rest of it also has done quite well. Actually interesting because Apple, I don't know, what was it, November? They really did an, another sort of accessibility promotional push they, they released a bunch of new videos and sort of showed yes, off they cha- a, a lot their of their website yeah yeah that's right so and 
now, I mean, there's a real feel that Microsoft is kind of doing the same thing. It, it feels like Microsoft is kind of trying to catch up to Apple in terms yeah. of, uh, of accessibility. Um, what do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, it, it's definitely evident that accessibility kind of has been quite a, a trendy word, shall we say, sort of a trend for a while. Um, so I think people are identifying that if they get accessibility right, they they are you know widening the the avenue. There's more people that will use their product, and actually it benefits more and more people. And the other thing about accessibility, which I say every day or not every day or when I'm presenting, is that a lot of people think access accessibility. They think oh we're thinking about blind, deaf, uh, cognitive, and motor. We're thinking about people that are all disabled. And need some some kind of assistance, got assistive technology, blah blah blah. blah. It's actually not like that, you know. There, there's a lot of people. We've got our aging society now, so we're all living longer now, and that's great. Um, but obviously, as we all get older, you know, the eyes start to fail, the ears start to fail, we all start needing wheelchairs. You know, it just happens to us all. And you're not necessarily registered blind. You know, you could be visually impaired, or you could be wearing glasses and you forget your glasses one day. And it's how how do you access your emails then? How do you get on with your, your daily working life if you've forgotten your glasses? And that person isn't blind. They've just got they've got something that actually they could use an accessibility feature to, to, to benefit. Um, so uh, there was another example that I normally use. I can't remember what that was. But the other thing I was going to say is obviously you've got things like temporary disabilities. And right. so, you know, someone who hasn't got an arm and someone who's broken their arm obviously if you've broken your arm you've got a temporary disability you can you can only use your phone with one hand or you can only hold a baby with one hand and how and how do you how do you access everything then when when that hand is occupied um so anyone can have a temporary disability you know anyone anyone can can um be on medication and um, feel dizzy and not be able to visually see and access something. Um, a lot of people walk around the streets wearing earpods, but not necessarily earpods, but they listen to their iPods, they're listening to music and they're deafening themselves to you know, the world around them. And, you know, we all, we all look at them and think, oh, it's so unsafe, you can't hear cars, you can't hear this. Well, you might think you can, but actually you'll miss it. Um, look out, I so dropped it, the piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah, my point is, you know, when we say accessibility, it's not just that small group of people that benefit from it. It's a lot more people that would benefit from accessibility. And a lot of people say the app developers the web developers I've worked with in the past, they they don't consider it until the very end or it's an afterthought. And then it's very difficult to apply these accessibility features, um, you know, for when they've already got their finishing product. It's, it's really hard for them to then apply it. It should be something that's considered right at the beginning. Right. And then, you know, if it's considered at the beginning, they're actually targeting way more people than they realize you know they're not they're not missing out on people they're not excluding anyone um and yeah in turn it benefits them obviously because you know it's just a lot more beneficial for everyone to have that access um so yeah it's it's quite an interesting one i think we're definitely in interesting times microsoft i noticed they have something on their website also and obviously apple have recently changed their website they have like a specific section called accessibility um so they're they're really using that word accessibility it's quite a big one at the moment which is great i mean it's definitely great um i just i just hope they sort of utilize it in the right way you know to, to really benefit more people um, and not just target the, the small percentage. Uh, what a lot of people do is they think, oh, we've considered the blind people, we've made our product screen reader friendly, there we go, tick the box. Actually, only 5% of blind people have no vision at all and, and could possibly benefit from a screen reader. So actually, you, you've 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 not considered the what the the majority of blind people that need visual tools in order to access your 
your website or your app or whatever it is. Um, you know, screen readers, for, for example, I do not use a screen reader um, and I'm registered blind. So there are those kind of components to, you know, building a product and making it accessible for those that are blind and not, not just for those that use screen readers. Um, so, yeah, yeah, there's just, I like to say, lots of grey areas <laughs> within accessibility. And um, that's kind of what I focus on uh, at my company. I try and really talk a lot about that to, to help more people. Well, and I guess there's a, there's a difference really between the idea of accessibility and the idea of universal design, where, you know, universal design is more about just having it, having all those features baked in right at the beginning of any sort of process. Yeah, accessibility almost denotes that uh, it's an add-on. It's an afterthought as opposed to a design element. Yeah, it's something that shouldn't be an afterthought, something that should be more considered, um, better considered at the beginning of a process opposed to as an afterthought. And really, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right in, in that it's, it's really in their own benefit um, because if you think about, like, think about text messages, text, mes ugh. text messages, really, it's, they started out as a, as a component for the deaf and it's, sure. you know, it, it, I'm sure when they first, um, developed it, they had no idea that it would become, you know, the, the giant that it is now. Yeah. That my is daughter that, would yeah. be locking herself yeah. in a room and spending hours upon hours just text messaging back and forth <laughs> with people who she could actually yeah. phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's lots of things out there that people don't realize actually is like so like FaceTime, for example, is another thing that deaf people use as an accessibility tool because, you know, for those that sign um, or lip read and things like that, that is their way of calling someone they'll use facetime mm -hmm. or skype right, even right. um and i don't think apple when they you know first built facetime that they ever thought that that would actually benefit a big group of people um that um visually um so yeah it's definitely recognized now though i know that from from being trained at apple right. <laughs> they're like yes facetime's great for, for for signers and visual visual communicators and like that which is great it's good that they've recognized that <laughs> yeah because it really like it, any of these applications or sorry any of these features that they build in have applications in the mainstream as well as applications uh for for those who need at I, yeah. I think I think Apple's done a good job too, in the sense that you know a lot of times, like like your example with FaceTime, where they they've come out with a, a new piece of software and then they've seen the application after the fact. They they haven't just gone, oh well, that was neat. They've actually embraced it and then they've started to work to put features into things that are going to benefit that community specifically as well. Um, so when they do, you know, maybe not intentionally develop something to be accessible when they recognize that there's a, a, a need for it, they they grab it and they run with it. it it's great because it, it also eliminates that idea that um, a lot of people say that at home that think they, they think they need this specialist technology. Specialist technology, so for example, back when I was at school, what they wanted to do, they wanted to give me uh, a Dell computer, uh, an old big bulky one which would have been about three four hundred pounds um i don't know what that is in 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 your money but uh no, it's quite a cheap cheap laptop but then they yeah, said then they said then they said right and then we'll give you jaws software which is another four five hundred pounds and that because it is specialist software is so expensive um, and a lot of people can't afford that whereas that that kind of software um, that enables the same kind of access if not better is already built in to these mainstream technologies and obviously once they Apple and like we're saying with FaceTime they've identified that it actually really benefits um, a lot of people in that kind of way and they roll with it they, they improve it um, and they make all these kind of improvements it it stops people from thinking they have to dish out all this money for specialist technology for them to be able to access their emails or access a university course actually it it makes you think well actually if i can get one piece of technology that's got all the everything that i need in it 
um, then why why should I pay so much more money uh, for specialist tech? Um, so I mean that's why like you know when people ask me what what it is that I use and I say it's all mainstream technology people are actually quite surprised um because they don't realize actually the stuff that's already built in or applications that you can download and things like that um are easy to access so they don't realize that it's like wow actually that's that's really cool it may be a really expensive expensive upfront cost i mean we all know iphones are not very cheap um but in the long in the long run really really beneficial uh, on a daily basis well, that is kind of the flip side of it, though. You know, I, I did a comparison oh, years ago um, yeah. between uh, a Mac with VoiceOver versus a PC with uh, with Jaws, and it, it actually yeah. it actually came out price wise to be pretty much a wash because the the Mac products are are, are quite expensive by comparison to uh, to PCs. Yeah. Yeah. So you can you can you can go either way. I think you can make the case price wise in in either direction. It's just the level of access that you want and how you know how you run your life and how you tie into everything else. You know, in your case, you you've got the usage case scenario for going completely on the on the Mac side of things. You know, it it, it works it. perfectly for you. I, I I just had a friend at primary school whose mum uh, worked at Apple at the time and um, she worked at the Regent Street store in London and I'd go around to their house all the time and they just had Macs and the mum obviously found out I was going blind and she started showing me how to use these, these Macs and things like that um, when I was about 11, 12. And so that that's just been all I've known. Uh, so I have tried other products, and I I do I do know that there are some other pre, pretty decent products that that um, offer accessibility pr pretty nicely. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's kind of this. This is what's worked well for me. I mean, I know um, from when I was at Apple and I did a lot of workshops. It 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 was a lot of people did come in and say, yeah, you know, I'm changing over to Apple because this just seemed to be the way to go. And then you do always get people that are the other way. Um, it is, it is sometimes just like that. Um, I just, I just find it uh, a lot more user friendly. And I think for, for someone who is blind, simpler is better. Um, especially on iPads and things like that. I mean, Macs and MacBooks, yes, they can be, if you're, if you're going from, you know, PC to Mac, then yes, it can be different. Um, but I would, I've always just kind of recommended iPhones and iPads, to be honest, um, uh, for, 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 um, for basic activities um because it's just so user friendly and voiceover and things like that it's a lot easier to maneuver uh, opposed to run a macbook i've been a jaws user since i lost my site um yeah. a pc user since i lost my site that's what i'm comfortable with but yeah. yeah you know i do have an ipad as well i also have an android tablet i have had an iphone i have an android phone you know, depending on what your use case is, you know, not, yeah. not one product fits all. So, yep. well, and I think yeah, what's interesting, definitely. what's interesting too, is that everybody has sort of a different path into AT. Yes, definitely. Yeah. It's always kind of the experience and where it kind of leads to you to, to what you, what you use and what you get used to and how you strategize with it also. Um, so I couldn't, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, how do you do this? I'm like, well, I, I just do it. <laughs> mm. I just do it. And then I kind of just sit there and have to analyze, you know, the journey I went on, the path and why I used it and how I used it. Um, and yeah, it's, it is, it, it, can, it can be very different for, for a lot of people. And that's the other thing I, I'm constantly saying is that you cannot put two people that are blind or two people that are deaf together. You know, everyone's got their own needs and their own strategies. Um, so you cannot, you know, tar us all on the same brush. You can't say that we all use voiceover or we all use this or we all, we, or we, or we all use JAWS. You know, you have to consider the various needs um, and strategies that, that people with sensory impairment use. Exactly. Um, so, so getting getting off of the the Mac versus PC thing, um, ha, have you? <laughs> fight, fight. No, fight. Oh, come on! No, uh, have uh, have you had a chance to play with either the Amazon Echo or the Google Home? 
not the Google Home, the Amazon Echo, Echo I have. Um, I'm hoping to get the Google Home at some point just to have a little play with it. Um, the Amazon Echo is quite good fun. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. When you're lonely, yeah, you can just sit and ask it questions. <laughs> yeah, we can't get one. In, we can't get them shipped to Canada yet. So. Ah, okay. I'm so still waiting to get one. But yeah, what's your, I mean, what, I can def- I can definitely see benefits with it. I mean, um, it's handy that you can you can kind of uh, set it up so that you have you know all your your your, your station your local station uh, kind of timetable stuff on it. So you can literally just go, "Hey Alexa, tell me when the next train to Reading is," and it tells you instead of me having to go into my phone to find the train station to find the time to you know all these visual kind of. Um, tiring things i would have to look for um or processes that i'd have to 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 speak through voiceover um it's easier to just sit there and ask you know a, an object well, and <laughs> um, when when my next train is um but i guess the the, the ongoing argument is that i haven't yet figured out is you know what can this thing do that you know our iphones can't you know through through siri or something like that um but I, I I don't know. I think the the speaker on it is pretty good. It would be better if it had uh, hearing aid compatibility. Um, I think for those that are deaf, um, because obviously the the speaker is great for some, but not for those that uh, um, uh, like. For me, I could sometimes miss hearing instead of no knowing exactly what it said. If it was directly streamed to my ears, and that that problem would would go. Um, and besides that, I think it's kind of there's room for improvement. I think that it could possibly um, kind of get to a point where it would benefit you even more, as opposed to just asking it to put music on or ask you directions or ask when you know Ray Charles' birthday is and things like that. You know, <laughs> slightly more productive productive things. Um, that's something I'm still kind of uh, playing around with. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it. It's an interesting uh, product. I think it could be really cool, actually. Does, does it feel kind of like the Apple Watch in the sense that you know, right now it's kind of gimmicky and it's limited, but it has a lot of potential in terms of what it could possibly do? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely got a lot of potential. I think it kind of um, targets a. Um, a lot of say the older the older population that they are technophobes and don't don't really want to go into their phones and go and find something or you know like they just their their patience is limited a lot of the time I found from working with them when I was working at Apple they they get really frustrated uh, with trying to find things on an iPhone or in Safari or things like that um, rather than going and getting an iPhone and whatever I can see how it would better benefit um the older population in terms of just being able to say hey alexa uh, can you read me my email uh, from such and such or hey alexa when is my next bus i just think that kind of simplicity um for for that kind of group of people would benefit um but yeah like you say i think there is still a lot of room for for and and potential for it to go even further to help more people well, I know well, that they're they're trying to build in. Sorry, Ryan. No, I was just going to say at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas last week, Alexa was integrated into many, many, many different technologies. They all see mm. that using your voice for home automation, such as turn lights on and off, open, close shades. Yeah, you know, is going to yeah. be huge for people with multiple disabilities. Using your voice is going yeah. to be a big enabler for people, and if they can use their Echo to do that, or a Google Home device, or or whatever. Um, that's huge. Definitely, it's huge. Yeah, it. It. I think it would definitely help with the whole um, isolation issue, like having that kind of connectivity, um, uh-huh. being able to kind of just use your voice to kind of reach out to someone, even if it's you know. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot, a lot more to come yet to come with all of that, which is quite exciting. It could mm-hmm. be. It could be in ten years. You know, we're living in in you know a smart home. Like where you can, yes. you can literally yeah. just, you know, like Ryan was telling me yesterday about about uh, one, uh, the CES show and where they you you dictate your your grocery list to your fridge, 
Yep. <laughs> well, even like with wow. the Amazon Echo now, you can, you know, create a reminders or, you know, is it reminders? Yes, or, yes. Yeah. A, you know, and you can talk exactly. to your fridge and say, add milk to the shopping list and they can send that to your phone. Um, yeah. You know, wow. they're tying into home automation. So, you know, you can have a door locking, say, you know, Alexa, yep. unlock the door or, or Alexa, who's at the door? And it would integrate to, yep. to your ring app and, you know, all sorts of that yep. sort of technology is becoming more and more popular and, and ever present in many de- types of devices. You know what? It's just great. It's great that it's integrating with all the other, uh, you know, one might see it as assistive technology. Someone else, like say Ring, for example, the fact that it would integrate with that uh, is, is brilliant. Like it's all kind of coming in together, mm-hmm. having that compatibility and it, um, yeah, it literally eventually will become like a smart home, won't it? Yeah. <laughs> it you know, you... one thing will connect to your doorbell, one thing will connect to your fridge, mm-hmm. uh, bedroom, bathroom, you name it, you know. Um, it's definitely, yeah, I can see a lot, a lot of benefit in that for, for someone well, uh, with s- multiple disabilities or even just an old elderly person. Um, uh, oh, and, and and of course, you'll always get that big group of people that just will have it because it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? um, and, and you know, obviously, in our in in this day and age, there's a lot of people with that kind of desire to have the cool the cool gadget trees. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I want my fridge talking to me because you know it'd be like, listen, buddy, this lasagna has Enough been in me it. for like three months. There's green yeah. stuff going yeah. on it. Will you get it out of me? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, yeah, you're on a diet, mate. <laughs> Enough of that. <laughs> the uh, the other uh, story about uh, Alexa and Google Home that I heard the other day was um, apparently those technologies are essentially listening to you all the time. Their their microphone is Ooh, always on, listening that's a scary to. Thought. Yes and yeah. no. Um, yes and no. And and law enforcement in the states has actually requested from the courts the rights the right to essentially tap it. Really? They yeah. don't actually listen until you actually use the keyword Alexa. They're on, yeah. but they're not listening per se. Well, they're listening and there for is, the Alexa. Right. And there is a mute button on the device that you can actually turn off the mic. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's interesting. interesting. That opens up a whole new bag of worms. Well, think of Google, right? Mm, they and did, all, yeah. You know, <laughs> we've all given Google all of our information every time we've done a Google search. Okay, okay. This is all stuff for the conspiracy so. <laughs> theory show that we do. Are we that Friday, concerned about privacy? <laughs> I don't think we're that concerned about privacy anymore. Well, you aren't. <laughs> you live clean, Ryan. That's right. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, the rest of it, you know, I'm an eco-terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I don't know what, what your thing is. I, you you managed to keep a good facade so far. Exactly. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about is your children's books. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so um, that really was actually part of a project I did at college. Um so I did my, uh, I don't know what the equivalence is in uh, Canada, but um, I, so when I was 18, I did uh, an art and design diploma and English literature and language A-level. And um, it kind of was uh, towards the end of my two years and I had to do a final major project. And I don't know, I couldn't really tell you what inspired me to write a children's book, to be honest. Um, I've always kind of been a child at heart and I've always been very creative and arty and it it was kind of just my outlet, my the way I expressed myself uh, was through drawing and painting and things like that. English was kind of more of an interest. I was, I, I was, I wasn't, you know, brilliant <laughs> at English. It was, I just always really enjoyed it, um, and I just kind of felt that it was kind of ironic, you know, my, my, my subject choices as a deafblind person, English and art. You know, people <laughs> often laughed and find that really ironic. Um, but towards the end. Um, I decided I was going to illustrate and uh, write a children's book. And when I was, the day I kind of sat down and wrote out the storyline, it kind of came out naturally, this whole it's okay to be different message. Um, I think it kind of reflected from my own uh, experiences from being uh, 
the, the odd one out, shall we say, when, when I was at school, I was always just that girl with, with the hearing aids or that girl with the guide dog. Um, I was just always a different one. And um, so I just wanted to kind of inspire inclusion uh, amongst young children because those kind of experiences do, do stay with you for life. Um, and so once it was... Um, uh, made like I literally just had it kind of made on a website. I installed my illustrations and story onto a website and had it made into a book. And through my charity, um, through all the networking and stuff I did, a publisher came forward and was interested in it. Um, so I got it published and I donated the book to the trust. Um, and yeah, it just proved to be quite popular because I think because uh, I went into lots of schools and I spoke about it. I was introduced as an author and illustrator, which I found quite quite weird because I I had never kind of planned for it to happen that way. It was it was an accident how it happened. It started off as a, as a college project and it became a quite success story and uh, really really helped lots of children with not necessarily Rust syndrome but with various disabilities that felt excluded. Um, and so I was just kind of inspired to do a second one because a lot of people were interested and. Um, and now I'm on my third. Uh, literally started it this week. Oh, my third, third one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I couldn't tell you how many we sold, uh, to be honest with you, because uh, I kind of handed that over to my mum, who manages, uh, the, does the management of the trust while I do my business stuff. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it was inspired. I guess it was literally, it was, it's a reflection of my own childhood, uh, being excluded with the message of it's okay to be different and, you know, just offer everyone a helping hand when you can. <laughs> um, and, of course, characters are frogs because who doesn't like frogs? <laughs> um, now, are the frogs in the third one? Yes, yes, they're all they're all frogs uh, in all of the books. Uh, I wanted to maintain that they, they're all the same characters. They're not necessarily sequels; they're all kind of separate stories. Um, but the third one, I will tell you, the, the the three main characters are a bit older now, and um, so yeah, that is uh, kind of bringing it round to you know modern day and how you know today's kids um, access the world. Um, so it's an interesting one. It's going to be a slightly different approach to what I've done before. Um, so I'm intrigued to see where this one goes. Well, if you happen to need uh, some Canadian characters for it, we'd like to be portrayed as beavers. <laughs> as, as what? Beavers. Beavers. Okay. Beavers. I'll, I'll bear that in mind. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now you travel a lot. I do. <laughs> where, are we, where are you off to next? I've got, uh, well, uh, this month just in the UK, uh, going up to the north uh, next week to do some work. Uh, but uh, I've got Stockholm has just been booked uh, wow. and um, possibly going back to Australia in June. Um, so, yeah, that's at the moment it's uh, Australia, so probably back to Sydney and Perth. Um, nice. And then Stockholm uh, later on this year. So Europe, conquering Europe, and then <laughs> going to the other side of the world. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> well, have you ever come to Canada? I haven't, no. I have a friend that lived over in Vancouver for, for four years and absolutely loved it. Um, I've, heard, I've heard nothing but good things about Canada. Um, but no, I haven't been able to get over there. I need a, I need an invitation. <laughs> Make it happen, Steve. All right, let's go. Get on over. <laughs> on over. We'll buy you lunch. Steve's got wine. Ooh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. It's definitely on my list. Um, a lot of the travel I have done has been sort of through my work and charity. Um, so I get. I guess that's kind of the dream to be able to kind of travel and do a bit of work along the way and kind of help people while I can, right. where I can. And now, anybody who wants to reach out and contact you or the trust, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, my website, uh, so mollywatt.com. Uh, it's all on the contact details, or you've got Twitter, uh, the Molly White Trust uh, has got its own Twitter, and then I've got my own personal uh, Twitter, which is more my personal 
uh, career journey, uh, which is Molly Watt Talks. And um, yeah, so it's kind of all social media based. So either my website, Facebook, uh, it's Molly Watt Limited or Molly Watt Trust and also on Twitter also. Perfect. I'm everywhere. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, you have to when you're conquering the world. It's important for it to be this spread it. out. It's, it's a tough job. <laughs> Got to be done. Absolutely. Well, and we'll, we'll be sure that we link to, to everything, too, in our show notes as well. Molly, it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. Hey, thank you all. Thank you all for having me. And uh, you can probably tell I'm getting a bit of a cold. So apologies if I sound awful. <laughs> oh, that, you know what? That's okay. It's going around here, too. I'm uh, right there with you. Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, yeah, let's let's do this you. again. I, I mean, I, we'd yeah. like to talk to you again. We've we scratched the surface, so. Sounds great. Lovely. Well, take care, all, oh. and uh, look forward to hearing from you. Great. great. Thanks, Molly. Thanks, Molly. Thank you, Molly. Thanks. All right. Bye. 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 Oh, well, that was interesting. Well, there is a young woman with her fingers in a few uh, Ooh, different things. Very yep. busy. Holy yeah. smokes. Well, I know that's that's why I wanted to get her on the show. I mean, you just you, you, twenty-two years old and you know around the world yeah. speaking, talking, advocating. She's yeah. got it together. Impressive. It, absolutely. Twenty. I don't even know what I was doing when I was twenty-two. Nothing. I was in my first marriage. Were you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look at you. You're actually player. twenty-three. Player. No. Twenty-two. Worst time of my life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, fixing photocopiers. Yeah, uh, twenty-two. I guess. I guess I was just going into. You're in school. Yeah, I was going into music school. Entering into debt. <laughs> Ryan, Rob. Uh, what do we got going on next week? Next week is Kevin Shaw from Tell Me TV. It's a descriptive online video service, similar to Netflix, but everything is described. Really mm-hmm. cool. Um, all right, Ryan, Rob. Where can people find us? www.atbanter.com Well, people can email us at atbanterpodcast at gmail.com Ooh, wow. Like a boss. First show of the year and we got this first take. That's right. And people can find us on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. That's right. But not Pinterest. Nope. Or Google Plus. Or Instagram. Oh, have we gotten rid of the Google Plus official? No, it's still there. It's still there, but I'm not updating it. Forget it. Get rid of Google Plus. Yeah, all right. Fine. I will delete Google Plus. It has gotten us nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Join us next week for another riveting episode of the Deep Enter Podcast with your hosts, Rob Minow, Steve Barkley, and me, Ryan Fleury. I'm keeping that. That was brilliant. That was good, wasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) It made me feel like I was watching the (laughs) A-Team. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, We will see you all next week. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A dot com. Music provided by bensound.com.